Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. It is getting chilly. We got about three inches of icy snow on the ground, and it's still coming down. I gotta say, though, a lot of people would be angry about a couple inches of snow in mid-November. But for us here on the mountain, it's been fire city lately. Any little tiny spark up sends the entire mountain into a panic. So this precipitation is very much needed. Well, I have an excellent show lined up for you guys this evening, and I could sit here and tease what I have coming up all night. But wouldn't it be more fun to just dive right in? So let's do that very thing. To kick off tonight's episode, we begin in the Ozarks. The following is Frank's story from the state of Arkansas. Hello, Derek. My name's Frank. I live in Northwest Arkansas. And my story actually takes place back about 1985. I guess I was 13 years old at the time. I was living with my father, and we actually lived across the street from his sister and her husband, so my aunt and uncle and their, their kids. And their kids ranged from, I guess, 17 to 15. So I hung around the cousin that was closest to my age. You know, he graciously let me tag along for whatever he was doing. Well, one night I was at my house, I glanced aside and I noticed that at my aunt and uncle's house, there were police cars and ambulances. So being curious, I ran across the street and my cousin was in his car and I knocked on the window and I said, hey, what's going on over there? And he looked at me and shrugged his shoulders like, I don't know, I have no idea. So I ran back to my house to let my father know what was going on and something was happening. And so he ran across the street and he came back in about half an hour and he explained to me that the cousin that I had talked to in the vehicle was dead and he had passed away an hour before. So I have no idea how I saw him in his vehicle. So that's my story. Thank you so much. And I'll be calling back with more stories. Bye. Thank you, Frank. This is a classic. It really harkens back to those old ghost stories. Those subtle nods and brief interactions with the other side. This is the type of story that would give me chills as a kid around a campfire. But the truth is, this is not a fictional story. This is Frank's first-hand experience. So what exactly happened here? Was Frank mistaken about the timeline? Was he mistaken about the person that he spoke with? Or did his cousin somehow communicate with him from beyond? Now, I suppose with cases like this, we will never know. But thanks to Frank, we at least know about the story. So thank you again, Frank, for taking the time to share that tale. Now the topic of our next submission has been in vogue on the show as of late. Let's see if you can spot it. The story was submitted by Chance in the state of Texas. This is Chance. Uh, I'm from Victoria, Texas, you know, down here south. 
Uh, I just want to report a, a story I had uh, maybe about a couple years ago. Me and my buddy were walking down a highway heading to his house down kind of like a creek. It, it, it's known as the Rio Grande River, and it flows out to the bays and whatnot. Uh, well, it was around 12 o'clock, and, you know, I've always been fascinated by the paranormal and, you know, cryptids. And one one urban legend that, that we have down here is that, you know, the Lechusa, the owl lady. Well, it was around 2 o'clock. We were walking down this highway. There was no cars, nothing. It was quiet. But a uh, full moon was out. So we could see clearly without any flashlights in front of us. And we were walking down this road, and we were talking about the, the urban legend, Lechusa. And it, it, it says, you know, you, you whistle three times and uh, the Lachusa will appear. And my grandparents have always told me that the Lachusa takes little kids or, you know, bad kids. So I thought I'd try it, you know, not really thinking, you know, us being young and whatnot. So I whistled three times and n nothing happened. And we just kept walking. We probably had a mile ahead of us till we got to the river. All of a sudden we hear this loud screeching sound and we heard wings but we didn't know where they were coming from well we were looking around couldn't really see anything and then we see these long wings above us but we were looking at the ground so we just saw the shadow from the moonlight and the wings had to be i don't know maybe a 10 feet spread so they were pretty big, and we have buzzards down here, but I didn't really see any buzzards flying by us. So I look up as soon as I see the shadow, and I don't see anything at all. So we start, you know, freaking out, kind of hurrying, kind of jogging, and we get to the river, and it's a bridge. It's a, a small bridge crossing on the highway, and we, we cross that bridge, and off to our left, we see two red eyes and we hear someone yell get out so we start running after that and as far as I'm concerned you know that that made me a believer I never really believed in the Lachusa but after that experience I've, I've I've never gone outside late at night by myself or did anything that has to do with down there at the creek I really love your podcast and uh, just keep up the good work, man. Uh, I, I love listening to you while, while I'm driving from job to job. And uh, have a good day. Thanks, Chance. Now, I admittedly know very little about these obscure yet awesome Mexican legends. Outside, of course, of La Llorona. She seems to be everywhere right now. So to be sure that I communicate the correct information while explaining this unique phenomenon... The following excerpt was pulled from Dictionary.com. Lechuza, a Spanish word for a type of owl, especially the barn owl, is a myth popular around northern Mexico and Texas. As the story goes, an old woman shapeshifts into a giant owl to take revenge on people who wronged her during her life. Sometimes the owl is variously depicted as black or white, and sometimes with the head of an old woman. Exactly what the Lechuza does to exact revenge varies widely across tellings of the story, though most reference the Lechuza carrying away unsuspecting prey back to her lair. She lures her targets, often children or drunk people, out of houses by crying like a baby or swooping down on cars late at night. Various methods are claimed to protect against Lechuza, tying seven knots in a rope and hanging it by the front door throwing salt and chili powder into the bird's face, shooting the bird, or reciting a Christian prayer to the Virgin Mary. And with all this owl person talk, I feel obligated to at least mention an awesome legend from another part of the globe. There was a series of viral videos from four or five years ago featuring a strange, owl-like creature spooking explorers of an abandoned children's home. Now, I highly recommend you guys go to the show notes and check out the video attached for the Owlman. You'll quickly realize that it's someone in a costume actually scaring these people. 
I should also point out that the initial Owlman reports were actually real. A series of sightings poured into Cornwall, England's police station back in 1976, all describing a tall, half-owl, half-human creature. Thank you again, Chance, for sharing that great information. And while we're on the topic of winged nasties, I thought this was a good opportunity to share a potential Mothman story. The following was submitted anonymously from Wild Wonderful West Virginia. Hi, Derek, and thank you so much for what you do with your podcast. My name isn't really important because this is my brother Johnny's story. He's since passed away, so hopefully in the great beyond he's gotten some answers. He told me the story, and he wasn't someone who did a lot of flamboyant things. He would talk about music groups and politics, but he didn't talk about too many things that were out of this world, so to speak. So I was a little surprised when he told me this story. He was born in 1956, so this was probably around 1975 when this happened. I know he said that he and a friend were driving in um, central West Virginia, which is where we lived, in a Chevy Nova, and it was night, and they were bored, and they were just driving around just to be out of the house, have something to do, maybe find something to do. It was him and one other friend, and he was in the passenger seat. And so they were driving down one of the local highways, and some large thing flew over their car. And I mean right over their car. And the wings were flapping, and they're looking out the side windows, and they're seeing the wings come down and up and down and up, and this thing is flying right along with the car. And it did this for some time, some distance. And they never saw anything but the flapping wings. And so at some point it ended and they didn't really know what to make of it. We don't have birds, huge birds in West Virginia like that. It's mostly forest. And he was an avid hunter, so he was aware of everything in the woods. And so I was um, thinking... You know, we're half a state away at that point from where the whole Mothman thing happened. You know, the Mothman thing happened, I believe, in 1967. This was 1975. So can't confirm that it's a Mothman sighting, but it might be included in a, as a possibility of something like that. This was not that far also from where the Flatwoods monster was spotted because that's where we went to high school was at the edge of Flatwoods. And so who knows what this thing was. My brother didn't tend to make up stories. He did some recreational drug use, but I've never heard him tell any kind of other weird stories or hallucinogenic stories or anything that you might attribute to drug use. I mean, most of the things he talked about were ordinary things, and he really didn't like a lot of attention brought onto himself, and he wasn't really much of a talker. So I appreciate all of your podcasts. And it's an honor to get to share his story and keep doing what you're doing, Derek. And maybe I'll call in another time with another one because I have others too. Thanks so much. Thank you, caller. It was this very week of the year, 53 years ago, that the citizens of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, first heard about the creature. They then called the Big Bird. But now we refer to it as the Mothman. Now, our caller suggests that what her brother had encountered couldn't be the Mothman. The distance was just too far, and too much time had passed since the original flap. But what if I told you that might not necessarily be the case? Throughout the 1966 flap, several sightings were made in other parts of West Virginia, and even throughout parts of Ohio. But what about the passage of time, you ask? Well, there are confirmed sightings of the Mothman creature, or at least a creature people labeled as the Mothman. In 1971, 73, 74, and throughout the past three or four decades. And of course, I don't have to mention the most recent flap in the city of Chicago. And as it just so happens, at the latest CryptidCon conference in Kentucky, I managed to collect the following story 
from a man from Ohio. This story is pulled directly from my notes. Mothman Witness from 2019's Crypticon The gentleman was riding to his aunt's house from somewhere south in West Virginia. His father was driving while his mother, him, and his brother slept. He woke up just in time to see his father slam on the brakes and then jump out of the car and into the street. The father stepped in front of the car and craned his neck upward. He was yelling, Did you see it? Did you see that thing? His father claimed that he saw the biggest bird that he'd ever seen. It flew right in front of the windshield, he said. The wingspan was 20 plus feet, and the body was more human-like than it was bird. The man telling the story seemed credible and claimed that he slept through a majority of the encounter. No one other than his father actually laid eyes on the creature. Now, according to him, the story took place in early fall of either 1966 or 1967, some miles south of Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Now, I'm sure there are a few details that I forgot to write down, but I believe I recorded a majority of that story. So a big thanks to our caller. It's not every day that you get to hear a Mothman submission, even if it's only a potential one. Why don't we cleanse our palate of these flying humanoid stories with something ghostly? The following is Adam's story from the Peach State. Hey everyone, this is Adam from Georgia. I've been listening to this podcast for a while. I've never called in, never done anything like this, but uh, I got a pretty good story. I've got quite a few actually, but this one in particular has kind of stuck with me over the years. I was talking with my wife about it yesterday to kind of get all the details down before I called. So I'll just get into it. This was back in 2007. We were visiting my mama's house. Um, my brother was living there at the time. Let me start by saying, you know, the area where she lived, the house, the surrounding woods, a lot of uh, high strangeness uh, going on around there. Um, it was haunted. There's no denying it. If you've never experienced this kind of stuff, you know, you're fortunate. So my mom's house, there was always this weirdness about the place. You always felt like you were being watched. The dogs would stare off into space or they would wag their tail for no reason looking up in the corners of the rooms or growling. Always just felt a weirdness in that house. But the, the living room particularly for me was always a weird spot. Whenever the lights would be off, it would be nighttime or even during the middle of the day when you walk by, I just, I just felt like if I glanced over there, I was going to see something. And I just it was just a really ominous presence. So, like I said, my, my, my girlfriend and I, who's my wife who's my wife now, but my girlfriend at the time and I were over there hanging out with my brother, and he had some bed clothes and stuff on the couch in the living room, and I was like, hey, Beach, why, why are you sleeping in here? And he said, well, man, I was laying in bed, and I woke up at like 2.30 in the morning, and there was this lady standing at the edge of my bed. And she had a bullet hole in her forehead. And I wasn't really scared, but I felt really sad. And it just made me really uncomfortable. And this happened a couple of days in a row, so I started sleeping in the living room. And then I told him, you know, that the living room freaked me out. And I, 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 I want everybody to understand, I've recounted this story so many times. It's kind of... Uh, it's like a matter-of-fact type thing at this point because everybody in my family knows it. All my friends know it. But anyway, so I said, but what about the living room, man? Don't you get that weird feeling? He said, well, no, the living room's not so bad. The only problem is I get woke up almost every night and it sounds like somebody's jiggling the door handle trying to get in because the, the, where the living room is, the, the front deck's there and that's the front door into the house. And he said, every night it sounds like somebody's jiggling the handle trying to get in. So we were talking about that for a little bit. I can't remember exactly where the conversation went. Uh, so I came up with a bright idea. I said, okay, well, let's do this. So I went into the kitchen, and I got a beer bottle out of the refrigerator. And I went back to the door, and I said, well, put this on the doorknob, and that way, if anything happens and, and uh, the handle jiggles tonight, 
the beer bottle will fall and we'll know that you're not full of crap. Because we used to always kind of freak each other out. We knew stuff was going on, but we would still try to freak each other out, whatever. So it took me a good five minutes to get this beer bottle to set because I actually turned it upside down and set it on the cap, on the doorknob. And the way the doorknob was shaped, it was it was very difficult to get it to sit. So I finally got it set, and we said, okay. So we went over into the room that we were in, uh, watching TV, just kind of talking, whatever. We were in there for about 30 minutes. And then my brother got up to go do something, and I said, hey, take a look at that beer bottle as you go by. Now, let me say that we were the only three there at the time. My mother was home, but she was asleep. My mama don't mess with paranormal. She doesn't, she's not like that, so we know it's not her. She was asleep. So he comes back uh, literally 10 seconds later, white as a ghost. And I turn back and look, and I said, well, what is it? What happened? And he said, dude, the beer bottle is turned right side up on the handle. And uh, <laughs> I just got a cold chill. Uh, so I was like, no, no way. So we got up, and we went into the living room, and we all three peeked around the corner and looked, and sure enough, that beer bottle was turned right side up sitting on the handle. We all freaked out because we know it wasn't us. I told him, hey, dude, why'd you do that? And he said, no, I swear it wasn't me. So we go back into the room we were in. We're all thoroughly freaked out at this point. And so in the room we're sitting in, there's like a, a cutout in the wall, like a divider. It's like a big square opening from the living room to the den. And I just had a sheet up separating that uh, to cover it because the living room freaked me out. And I had a love seat against that. So I sat down on the love seat with my back to the living room. And I swear, um, like I said, my mom was asleep. Nobody else was there except me, my brother, and uh, my girlfriend at the time. But it sounded literally like somebody's lips were maybe an inch away from my right ear. And I heard my name whispered. It just... And I literally jumped off that love seat, dove across the room, freaking out. Nothing, nothing else happened that particular night. But like I said, this, this one is one that has really stuck with me. I've got a, a ton more from, uh, early childhood all the way up to present, believe it or not. Um, my whole life, things have kind of been around me and, uh, my wife, my brother, we, we've all experienced things pretty much our whole lives. So, I'll probably call in again. Um, I enjoy the podcast. Look forward to hearing this on one of your future shows. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks, Adam. I gotta say, I really love the little trap you did with the beer bottle. And here's the best part of that trap. If the bottle simply fell off, I'd still question it. The vibrations could easily knock a bottle off a doorknob. But I really don't think it could turn it around like that. The only two explanations I would accept in this situation is if someone snuck into the room and rotated the bottle themselves or that there's something paranormal afoot. There's simply no other explanation otherwise. Now the stuff with the woman with the bullet hole in her head, the voice in the ear, it all adds to the freakiness. And Adam, I implore you to do a bit of research. Just maybe you'll find out who your roommate is really is. Thanks again, Adam, for sharing that story. It may be a bit morbid, but I think that was a fun one. And speaking of having fun, this next call takes me back to the days of reading my grandma's Time Life Paranormal book series in bed with a flashlight. The following call was sent in by Alex from Australia. G'day Derek, my name is Alex, I am currently in America, it's my uh, fiancé, we're travelling around while he works and we're currently in uh, Washington DC, but I'm actually calling about a story that um, one of my ex-boyfriends told me that he encountered one of Australia's folklorish, I don't even know what you would call it. Um, if you look up European folklore, it's called a hickey punk or a lantern light. And our version in Australia, which has been called by the Aboriginal people a min min light. So, just a brief explanation. Candlelights in, in European folklore are the, the lights that often lure travellers 
they see them in the distance and they start to follow them, but they can also be taken as kind of an omen. So it's a light that leads you down a path and you eventually get to know where people get lost. There's a lot of reported sightings over in Europe and England themselves, but in Australia we have them too. And the Min Min comes from the local Aboriginal name. So when uh, he was a young boy, he and his family lived on a farm and they bred horses. Uh, this farm, I forget the name of the city, but it was located north, about northeast of uh, Victoria, the state of Victoria in Australia, right along the, the, the border of New South Wales. Um, and one night, him and his father were coming in from a day of work out on the farm. And they were sitting on the back porch of their house. Now, their house was located pretty much in the middle of nowhere. They did have roads that go beyond their paddock line, but it was very rare that you'd get a car going around this time of night driving past. They were pretty much isolated where they were. Town wasn't that far away, actually. It was probably a few kilometres or miles. I would say about 20 miles or so. And as I was sitting on the porch, my ex-partner saw this strange light in the very back paddock of their property. Now, this light, he thought, originally must have been a car or a motorcycle driving along the back road behind a paddock. But then he noticed that the light had started to take a different direction, a direction that couldn't have been on the road and was starting to slowly bounce around the back paddock. The light then started to move towards them, slowly drift out of, out of sight and then it would come back bright again. But it started to move towards the house. Now, this caught the attention of him, but also caught the attention of his father. Now, his father was, a, a you could say, a, um, a man about his land. He knew a lot of the stories of that place. He was a very typical Australian farmer that loved his horses, that loved his property, that knew a lot about the culture surrounding him. He knew a lot about the land, and he noticed this light as well. Now, as... My ex sort of mentioned to him, hey, Dad, what's that? And he pointed to the to this light. His dad kind of got this look of just stone across his face, put his hand on his son's chest, and he goes, mate, I think it's time to head inside. His son questioned, like, you know, what this was, but his father never really answered him and encouraged him back inside the house. So they both went inside, and that was that. Now, the next day... The son asked what that light was again, and his dad went on to explain that some things in the folklore of Australia, I guess, do happen around that area, and what they actually saw was what he called a min-min light. And he went on to go and tell his son the whole story of the light that would lead you to nowhere, and that if you ever see a min-min light, or if you're out walking and you ever see a strange light, that you do not follow it, you stop what you're doing, you turn around and you go back where you came because the lights can actually be, well, they're actually interpreted as pretty much a bad thing. Thank you, Alex, and welcome to the States. Now, the story that Alex just told takes me back there because those books always seem to mention the Min Min lights. Spook lights that have now become a roadside attraction in the outback. But, much like our spook lights here in the States, the Min Min lights don't seem to be tethered to one location. In fact, the following first-hand account is from an eyewitness of another infamous spook light, known as Paddy's Lantern. Cole Rebo has spent most of his 72 years travelling and working in the bush. And as you can imagine, he'd seen and heard some remarkable things. But when he spoke to local legends, he told us his version of events with his encounter with the infamous Paddy's Lantern. We're out here in 1975, putting the window in the house actually and looked across the paddock towards the mountain. It was a bright, bright, soft, glowing light, ball of light, probably two or three feet in diameter. First saw it, we thought it was in the shed and thought it was a tractor I was working on at caught fire. I drove across the Got there, dead quiet, there was no light whatsoever, had switched off. Had a poke around, couldn't find nothing wrong with it. Came back, the wife who was almost having hysterics about the light turned off before you got there, 
That was a shed there she thought was on fire, a tractor in that shed there. When the light came on a second time, quite brightly, uh, I was still intrigued, I decided to walk on it. So I walked straight across the paddock to it, in amongst some old cars, incandescent, beautiful soft white light, opened the front door of an old car facing the light source, and the light coming in through the window somehow lit up the floor mats under the dash. And this was utterly like inside a neon tube, it was incandescent. I couldn't believe how light could bend around everywhere. The focus of light was up in a patch of the thorniest, closer together ground scrub you couldn't walk into. You imagine trying to walk through that in the middle of the night if all of a sudden it got black dark. And I poked around for a while in amongst just walking around, noticed the way it treated the chrome on the old cars and I could actually throw a shadow with my hand from it. It was about good enough, the light was about good enough to read a newspaper. It was, I could see the nucleus, so it must have been off the ground. There's no way it was moonlight, there's no way it was anything but something peculiar. The very next day we went around to see the neighbour and biggest conversation was the lights in the bush. He took me outside and showed me where he'd lined up somebody he thought with a pressure lantern trying to climb down over a sheer cliff in the middle of the night the night before and he was yelling out to him to go back. The next morning he actually physically climbed the cliff to see if he could find tracks or find someone had fallen off the cliff. So uh, that's the only set of lights I can't explain. I'm a bit sorry I didn't go into the middle and push a bit harder. I've been looking for them for the last 30 years. I haven't come back yet. That clip comes courtesy of Local Legends TV on YouTube. I realize the man's accent may make it difficult to hear in certain parts, so I suggest watching the full clip, a link to which can be found in tonight's show notes. Thank you again, Alex. This is almost a hometown legend. But truth be told, I just didn't want to wait that long. Now speaking of hometown legends, I'm still looking for first-hand responder submissions. Submissions from witnesses of the Anza Borrego area. And of course, your hometown legends. So hit up that hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the Report Your Sighting tab. And of course, be sure to mention the phrase hometown legend, first responder, or Anza Borrego early on in the call so I can be sure to find it. Now, moving on to something we can't find that easily. UFOs. The following is Dorian's submission from Virginia. Hey, Derek. My name is Dorian in the state of Virginia. My story actually took place in North Carolina the last Wednesday of July 2019. I was hanging out with a friend and her family at their beach house on the sound side in Nagshead, North Carolina, and we were stargazing. As we were looking up, I noticed something in the sky, like a dark shape. It was hard to see in the beginning because, you know, it was dark and it didn't really look like it was there. And at first I just dismissed it to like a floater or like one of those white blood cells you see floating across the surface of your eye. As we were watching though, we were looking up at the constellations and I was I believe I was looking up at Scorpio, though my star knowledge isn't good, so I'm not 100% sure. And as I'm watching, one of the stars in the tail of Scorpio kind of... You could kind of see this faint, dark outline of a shape. Now, it wasn't a plane, because with a plane, you know, you can see the light that mark it and kind of give its position away, but... There was nothing on this. It was like a vague mention of an outline almost. And it wasn't a noisy night, so you could hear a lot of the wildlife and the birds and a little bit of the water kind of from the sound. But as we're looking up, everything goes super eerily quiet. It's like even the uh, little bit of music we had playing turned itself down while this thing was overhead. I watched it for a good couple minutes until an actual airplane or a helicopter or something broke the noise and you could hear something coming over the distance. And then this thing just kind of slowly went from that non-existent mention of an outline to not there at all. I know the Outer Banks and the Barrier Islands of North Carolina have a lot of strange history between UFO sightings, mysterious lights, and ghost ships, but 
this is something that, you know, looking at you can't really contribute to the natural and historical lore of the area. I love listening to the show. Thank you for taking the time to listen to my call. Uh, keep up the good work. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Dorian. It seems we have another dark UFO. You may recall just last week I covered two stories about this phenomenon. One from New York and the other from New Jersey. So perhaps the government is testing something strange along the eastern seaboard. Or perhaps, as you will learn with our final caller of the evening, there may be something more terrifying going on back east. But before we get to all that, be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And that includes the infamous Facebook group. Be sure to check out all the cool Monsters Among Us merchandise we have to offer. Visit the website and click on the shop tab to see t-shirts, hats, mugs, and a lot more. A brand new Patreon episode will be dropping sometime next week. But due to the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday, I will be dark next week for the main show. But fear not, I'll be back on the 5th with a brand new episode. So until then, I hope everyone enjoys their Thanksgiving. And I think that just about covers most of those announcements. So let's dive back into the programming. And what a better place to start than with a hairy call from the state of Michigan. This would be Alex's call. Hey Derek, Alex from Chicago. I hope you can hear me okay calling from the road as usual. And uh, I wanted to commend you for doing these prompts. Uh, as somebody who's a pretty you know, hardened skeptic, I don't think that I have a whole lot of great stories to tell these things. But those prompts really, really do a good job of sparking that. So thanks for doing that. I, I don't remember the call word for the hiking and camping stories, but this is one of those. So a number of years ago, probably like four or five years ago at this point, I went on a hiking trip to Manistee National Forest, uh, which is in northern Michigan. Uh, not the Upper Peninsula, but a, a very cool place. Being from Chicago, I, I love camping and hiking, but obviously there's not a whole lot of forests, and especially national parks and national forests around me. So a place like Manistee is, is fantastic. And we were, it was me and a, a friend and her dog, and we planned to do some pretty serious backcountry hiking. It's, it's my favorite way to go. Um, but the first day we got there, it was late, so we just uh, set up shop in the normal campground by the trailhead to the backcountry area. And we get set up and, you know, have a little fire, get, in, get the, the, the tent going. And the dog, which was a couple years old, is a Shiba Inu, which are kind of <laughs> notorious jerks to begin with, tried to get it to sleep outside the tent. And for a few hours it did. And then it woke me up, scratching on the tent, trying to get in. So I open the tent, let, let the dog in. He settles down, we fall back to sleep. A few hours later, it must have been the middle of the night, I get woken up by the dog again because he's pacing and he's freaked out. And I mean, I attribute it to, you know, it's his first time out in the wilderness. He literally lived in a high rise looking over, you know, uh, Lakeshore Drive. So he's never done anything like this. You know, so I'm trying to calm him down a little bit, tell him everything's okay. And all of a sudden, it's, it sounded like it was from right near that trailhead that leads to the backcountry. I hear just the, the most primate-sounding howling. I, I've never heard anything like it. It was like, excuse this, but it was like, ah, hoo, ah, hoo. And it wasn't a bird, wasn't anything. I'm not going to be the guy that says I know everything in the forest. Nobody does. I mean, foxes and bobcats make some ungodly sounding noises. But this was just, it sounded like a big monkey out there shouting. And, I, you know, it eventually stops. The dog relaxed. We go back to sleep. I didn't say anything about it. The rest of the trip was great in the backcountry. Never heard anything else again. But I was thinking about it when thinking about calling you. And two things. One, Manistee is known, apparently, I, you know, sources differ, 
but as the original site of the Dogman. I mean, I've heard Elkhorn, Wisconsin, but apparently Manistee National Forest, according to some sources, it's where the Dogman legend comes from, which is by far my favorite cryptid. I, I think it's so cool. So that was interesting to find that out later after the fact. But on the like third day in the backcountry, we're way deep in there, and we're having lunch up on this ridge, middle of the afternoon, and there's this ridge overlooking the river, and we just start hearing crash, crash, crash from across across the river from the forest over there. And all of a sudden, this, this big, healthy, prime-of-her-life doe comes bounding out of the forest and jumps headlong into the water, into the river. And this is a pretty swift current. Gets stuck on a log, and we think, oh, man, this is the end. Swims the river, gets to the side of the ridge that we're at the top of, and this is like a good 60, 70-degree uh, ridge comes bolting up it and jumps into the forest behind us and runs off. And all I could think was, what in the world was chasing it? Like, what spooked it so bad? And, you know, who knows? Maybe it was that thing I heard. Maybe it was Dogman. Maybe it was nothing. But thought you'd enjoy maybe that little camping story. It's about the closest I've ever had to having an encounter as they come. So keep up the amazing work. Really, really love the podcast. It keeps getting better. Uh, every episode is better and better. And going to become a Patreon supporter soon. Thank you, Alex. If my memory serves me correctly, the legend of the Dogman did start in a Manistee region. But probably not the way you think it did. Apparently, a DJ at a local radio station created and recorded a song that began the Dogman craze. And believe it or not, I managed to find a clip of said song. Logan Camp in Wexford County where the Manistee River ran. Eleven lumberjacks near the Garland Swamp found an animal they thought was a dog. In a playful mood, they chased it around till it ran inside a hollow log. A logger named Johnson grabbed him a stick and poked around inside. Then the thing let out an unearthly scream and came out and stood upright. Now it goes without saying that reports of Dogman existed well before this song. But many believe this song is a catalyst for that amazing legend, at least in that part of the country. So who's to say, Alex? With this area being considered both Dogman and Bigfoot country, I'd say you're probably better off not knowing what made a visit that evening. Thank you again for sharing that call. And by the way, go to the show notes for tonight's episode to hear the entire Dogman song. It is certainly... something. Well, I feel like I really teased a Bigfoot story on that last one, so I figured I might as well deliver. The following was submitted by Denise in Parts Unknown. Hi, my name is Denise, and I have a story for the Spooky Night Encounters. Uh, back when I was, I think, probably 10 or 11, up in Canada, St. Joe's Island, me and my cousin were in the outhouse back in the day. It was in, you know, the old-fashioned outhouses. And we were sitting there, and we heard footsteps in the back of the outhouse. And they were really heavy, heavy footsteps. And I looked down at the bottom, there's a mesh that my grandfather and my dad had built to let ventilation. And I saw two big, black, hairy feet standing there. And when I saw it, I thought that was kind of weird that I would see two feet. Well, when I, when I looked, it moved around and my cousin who was with me, her and I were kind of very scared, actually, because 
we're out there by ourselves down the trail from the campsite. And uh, I opened up the front door of the outhouse and looked up at the campfire where you could see my family all sitting and everybody that was at camp was up at the campfire. But when I opened the outhouse door, we startled what was ever behind the outhouse and it come and moved and I shut the door real quick and my cousin started crying. And I said, listen, we have to be calm because we have to get out of here. <laughs> and so I opened the door again. And when I did, there is this huge, tall, I want to say probably about seven to nine, probably eight to nine feet tall. It was very tall. I, I remember it, its head went above the outhouse door. And when I saw it, it was all black from the top of its head all the way down and it was standing, it was a bipedal standing up on two feet and I slammed the door really quick and man, were we scared so uh, I I believe in Bigfoot I know he he's real I, I just, I know there's nobody that can convince me otherwise and so then after I slammed the door I started crying because I was so scared and freaked out and then when we when I slammed the door, it went around to the side again, up to the other side. And I opened the door. We ran really quick up to the camp and told my family what was back there. And they didn't, of course, they didn't believe us. But to this day, my daughter's been after me to call in and tell the story. So there you go. There's my story. And um, I hope to hear it. And my name is Denise, and thank you very much. We really enjoy your guys' stories and everything like that. You have a great night. Thank you. Thank you, Denise. So this is the second Bigfoot versus Outhouse story of the past week. You may remember on this week's bonus episode, I played Kylie's story about her father's run-in with a big creature while en route to the John. This leads me to wonder... If this creature is actually real, is it perhaps attracted to the outhouse for some reason? Maybe he really likes urinal cakes or terrible smells. All joking aside, I think it's interesting that both encounters occurred in close proximity to a porta potty. So let's try this. If you've experienced a similar creature in a similar situation, give me a call. I want to hear about it. I'm wondering if this possibly happens more often than we think, and we've just yet to make that connection. Thank you again, Denise, for sharing that story. And that brings us to the final call of the evening. And wouldn't you believe it, it's from my home state of Ohio. Well, the following is Ray's call from the Buckeye State. Hey Derek, my name's Ray. I live uh, right near Youngstown, Ohio. It's a few years back. I only told one other person this story. Uh, that guy Howard in London uh, does a podcast, uh, The Unexplained. He read my story. And uh, I never told anybody else. Anyway, a few years ago, I was doing some yard work in the backyard. And uh, it was dark by the time I finished. And now, uh, luckily, we have a uh, spotlight in the backyard, so I was able to finish my work. I had some tools that belonged in the garage, so I figured I'd put everything in a wheelbarrow and push it up to the garage, put everything away. Well, well as I was pushing the wheelbarrow across the backyard, I saw a light. It looked like uh, someone was shining a flashlight on the pine tree up and down, but... There was no beam, I just saw the light going up and down. I'm thinking, well, that was to get my attention. Well, when I turned the corner to make my way up to the garage, that's when I saw the three lights in the sky. Uh, perfect triangle, about probably 100 feet up. And uh, as soon as I saw these lights, I heard the sound of locust, but not an audible sound. It was in my head, very weird. And uh, so I kept uh, 
pushing a wheelbarrow up to the garage, and I walked almost directly under this thing. I, I don't know why. I wasn't scared or anything. I just, it was no big deal. Anyway, as I got underneath this thing, I saw another craft come out of the triangle. It was about four feet long with a light at each end. And it uh, flew over the house and uh, went out of sight. And then uh, that's the last thing I remember. I don't even remember putting the tools away. And uh, the next morning I was going to take a shower and I noticed a, a scab about two inches below my belly button, about as big as your thumbnail. And it's not like a normal scab, it was flush with the skin. So you wouldn't even know you had it, you know, if you didn't see it. And it was hard as a rock. So I, I tried peeling the scab off with some tweezers. And uh, it wouldn't peel off like a normal scab. It was like it was part of my skin. And so finally I, I got this thing peeled off and it had a root attached to it. It was very weird. Uh, so after that, you know, I've seen several lights out in the sky and I don't know... Uh, Something's going. There's there's lights flying all around uh, Ohio at night. There's always something going on. I just thought you liked that story, man. Good podcast. Take it easy. Thank you, Ray. Now I did not realize this, but that area, not only the country but the state, is a UFO hotspot. So much so that Cleveland ABC News Five even did a special report on the recent activity. Here's that clip. Well, this sounds like something out of a science fiction movie, but some here in Northeast Ohio insist they've seen unidentified flying objects here saying we're even in a hot spot for sighting. Bobby, your side investigator Joe Paganakis introduces us to some local people who think they've captured something on their cameras from out of this world. Catching the unexplained, the unidentified on video. And I seen this light come out of like the lake. Northeast Ohio UFO videographers sharing their images online. There ain't no plane. No. Hey, everybody check this out. Hey, y'all, come here, y'all. Look at this. Raising questions and commentary from skeptics, believers, and the open-minded. There's another one. There's a third one. That we may not be alone. What I saw, I can't explain. Some don't try to define what they've recorded. That's above my pay grade. While others are sure what they captured with their camera. Wait, wait. Oh, do we have three? Is not from this world. And there were three saucers above me. One on each point of an equilateral triangle. Each of the UFO videographers we talked to say their sightings changed their lives. Within seven minutes or so, it disappeared. And then it came back. But as you might guess, not all of their family and friends believe what is pictured here is an actual UFO. So this actual activity has been going on over Lake Erie for a very long time. Videos of UFOs shot by Michael Lee Hill, a native of Eastlake, have generated hundreds of thousands of views, even featured on the History Channel. You can see this ball of light come down, and all of a sudden you can see its reflection on the lake. These were orange, they were solid, nothing blinking and no sound at all. Just last year, Nate Ellis used his cell phone to capture this formation of unexplained lights hovering over his Cleveland home. Trying to think of anything logical. Maybe it could be drones, maybe it could be flares or something like that. But again, the way they were moving, it was just a difference and then they were in a formation. Now I should note that the city of Youngstown is less than 100 miles from downtown Cleveland. So I'd fully expect someone from both cities to see crafts if they were in fact in the sky. Now I tried my best to find other abduction cases from my home state, but surprisingly, the pickings are quite slim. Not to say that they haven't happened, but like Ray's story, they haven't really been reported to research outlets like MUFON. I guess I should probably back up and explore Ray's claims. He never actually claimed to be abducted, Instead, noting the missing time, memory loss, and of course, the strange scab that he found. But I think it's very important to mention that all three of those occurrences are often reported in conjunction with alien abductions. 
and if all these years of research has told me anything, it's that sometimes these things come back. So take care of yourself, Ray. Hopefully your experience was one and done. But in case it's not, and whatever these things are, they, they come back. I fully expect to hear about any future encounters. Thank you again, Ray, for sharing that extraordinary story. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd, Warren Ponabbott, and Tony Bell. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And that creepy music you're hearing? That's Co.Ag. Thank you for listening, and until next week. So since we touched on the flying humanoid phenomenon so much this episode, I thought I'd end on yet another story. So for more winged weirdies, we hear from Kevin in the state of Virginia. My name is Kevin. I was on the fence about whether or not to share this because of how short it is. Well, this happened when I was living in Chesapeake, Virginia. I was out on the front porch with my girlfriend and we were smoking a cigarette. It was around 9 p.m. While we were sitting on the bench listening to the sounds of the night, it kind of got quiet. I couldn't hear any of the critters or the traffic from the main highway that was down the road. After maybe seconds of stillness, there comes a weird piercing noise from high up in the sky. It sounded like it was traveling incredibly fast. The way the Doppler effect hit us, it sounded like it was moving away from us at high speeds. My girlfriend looks at me and asks, What the heck was that? I honestly had no clue. I live near Norfolk, almost right on the edge between Chesapeake and Norfolk. There's a very large military base near us. I figured it could have been a jet of some sort, but the sky was clear and I couldn't see a dang thing up there. We finished up our smoking and went inside to look it up online. I was surprised to see Mothman pop up in my research about this weird noise but I shrug it off and start getting ready for bed. The next day, my girlfriend shows me a report of a flood that has hit West Virginia. That's when I got to thinking. A disaster happening the next day, after hearing the strange noise. The little I knew of Mothman said it appeared before a great disaster. The aftermath of this flood took the lives of 23 people. I don't really know if my encounter was really with the Mothman, or was it maybe some easily explainable phenomena. I haven't really discussed it with anyone else, but if any other residents of Virginia who happen to listen to this podcast that heard the noise too, they could call and corroborate. That may make me feel a whole lot better about all this. Thanks for your time, Kevin. Well, thank you, Kevin. As I mentioned earlier, Mothman has been witnessed not only all over the U.S., but in other parts of the world as well. It's claimed that the creature was seen right before a mine collapse in Germany in the early 1900s, and once more before the disaster at Chernobyl. Then again, both of those claims are hotly debated, so take that with a grain of salt. Kevin is correct in saying that many see the creature as a precursor to tragedy, so it's entirely possible that the flood came in conjunction with the sighting 
but it's also entirely possible that the tragedy this creature was predicting simply hasn't happened yet. Thanks again, Kevin, for that short but interesting submission. Hopefully, someone else out there experienced the same thing that you did. Thank you again for submitting, and thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a great night. <laughs>